Welcome back to the Domestic Supply Chain Summit. This is Alan Adler, the Detroit Bureau Chief for Freight Waves. I'm joined by Don Burnett, the CEO and co-founder of Kodiak Robotics. And, and Don, uh, we've had an opportunity to talk a few times. Today's subject's a little different for us, but I think you've got some uh, some interesting thoughts on, on where we're going in terms of just how autonomous trucking is going to impact or have to be changed, if at all, by uh, the supply chain needs. So why don't we just go ahead and get going? Sounds great. Great to be here. Good to have you back again. You've, you've joined us before. It's great to have you on these summits. So you have some great thoughts. You know, one of the things that, that I think frames all this discussion up really is this idea that, you know, the uptime requirements that we have for, uh, you know, um, and, and total cost of operation metrics that apply to trucking today really do carry over when we get to autonomous trucks. I mean, even in the early days, there will, of course, be benefits from fuel savings and, uh, you know, uh, safety, of course, uh, because of the redundancy of the trucks. And, of course, the, the really gigantic value comes when we take the drivers out. And I guess with that as a backdrop, I, I would just ask you, you know, how much work does it take to figure out the best and nearest term use of autonomy, autonomous trucks? Well, at Kodiak, We've identified that the best and near-term use of autonomous trucks is that of long-haul middle of the middle mile. So the the highway portion of the longest haul routes, I think, is going to be the best application. And there are many many factors that go into figuring that out. First and foremost, you're looking for an application involving safety. Uh, self-driving trucks are are going to be safer than humans ultimately. And we think that's going to really transform a lot of lives. The U.S. Uh, Highway Traffic Safety Administration uh, uh, calculates that over 5,000 people were killed in crashes involving large trucks. That was back in 2019. Um, and so, you know, there's a real opportunity for us to to save save lives on on the highway environments, and that's that's really one of the driving factors behind the technology in that domain. Um, the the highways are just a much more structured problem. It's a more predictable environment. Uh, once you get once you get used to them, self driving trucks are actually going to be very boring, and other operators on the road are are going to be are going to find it very easy to to navigate and drive in and around self driving trucks. And I think also we have the opportunity to reduce traffic. So self driving trucks are not going to be in a rush. So they'll be able to avoid busy highways at busy times. And that's going to have a significant impact on uh, the efficiency of our highway system, the congestion on the road for other users. Um, we The self-driving trucks don't care whether it's 5 p.m. or 5 a.m. So they can stay off the roads when other motorists need them the most. And this is, I think, going to be a really important uh, piece, piece of the puzzle. And, and of course, there's the sustainability aspect. And self-driving trucks, I think, are going to be much more fuel efficient than human drivers, um, especially over long distances, both through more efficient driving, but also in keeping to the speed limit. So they don't tend to speed. They don't drive greedy. They're not aggressive on the accelerator. Uh, they're a lot smoother on the brakes. Self-driving trucks are constantly monitoring um, the world around them uh, 360 degrees without ever getting tired, without ever getting drowsy. And, and so... It's it's much more uh, sustainable, um, a sustainable process. And then ultimately, there's a resilience there. Um, first, for trucks that are self-driving, they're never going to get sick. They're never going to get injured. Uh, this is this is maybe more to the point of your question. 
I think there's a resiliency to the supply chain that is really needed. And I think we're feeling that more nowadays than we have in the past. Although I think the challenge has always been there. Self-driving trucks are going to be reliable to the point where they're always available. They're always there. Uh, they don't ever take days off. And this is critical to our transportation infrastructure, um, more resilient to natural disasters and other crises. All right. You raised something really important that I hadn't even thought about, and that is the whole congestion area. Uh, you know, ATRI, uh, the, uh, uh, um, the Transportation Research Institute, has done a lot of work around congestion and, and the lost time and things like that that goes into that. I can't remember the, the stats off the top of my head, but it, it was, you know, billions of dollars of sort of lost time. And, and if you can hit some of these, uh, let's call it Spaghetti Junction in Atlanta, you know, at, at the right hour, it's not as much of a Spaghetti Junction, right? I mean, you right go right through so so that's an interesting interesting point that you raised there there is though a, a difference of opinion of, between autonomous trucks being technology providers and freight haulers does there have to be a right answer to this question for autonomous trucks to make a meaningful difference well i can't speak to what other autonomous truck companies are doing or what their approaches are but at kodiak the we have really two components to our strategy today we're carrying freight on behalf of commercial shippers um, and with the work that we're doing with digital brokers so we think that the best way to develop this technology in the short term is to own and operate the trucks ourselves so and, and as you said be, be a freight hauler um, that's really important to the development of the technology it allows us to learn uh, from the technology, the operations, the business model perspective, how how do the operations actually work in the real world? It gives us an opportunity to to work with partners, to work with shippers, to work with other carriers, to work with digital brokers. Um, that's the way that we ensure that we're building the right product. Too many times you find that companies, especially in Silicon Valley, they think they know everything. They put their heads down, they work in a black box, they, they produce a product, and then they go and they hand it to the world and say, you're, you're welcome. But I think this is, really, this is really one of those where it's so important to work with the existing ecosystem as you develop it to ensure that you're building the right thing. Now, with that said, in the future, we are, are, we are planning to offer our driverless technology on a subscription basis directly to um, existing fleets, the, the so-called tech technology provider model, as you said. So it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of more about when and not which. I think in the early days, becoming a freight hauler makes a lot of sense because that's how you learn and that's how you develop. But ultimately, in order to scale we're going to want to work with the existing ecosystem. It's not going to be just one company that's scaling um, indefinitely. I think we're going to have to be a technical provider to the industry. Sure, sure. Well, you know, you mentioned um, hub to hub. I mean, you didn't call it that, but that's sort of what we're, we're looking at. And eventually, you know, long haul application, which could be also, you know, just a, a longer middle mile, as, as you put it, uh, you know, they add, you know, how do they add predictability? And another word you use, resilience, to the supply chain, what what is you know when these up are, are up and running, let's say without drivers, what what do they really what do they really bring in terms of resilience and, and predictability? Well, we've all felt the impacts of the supply chain crisis over the past few months, and so it's it's fresh in everybody's mind. And while it has many causes, the reality is that America simply does not have enough truck drivers. And, and the ATA estimates, it's the American Trucking Association estimates, that there's a shortage of approximately 80,000 drivers um, expected to reach 160,000 by 2023. 
And also, trucking is a difficult and dangerous job. There are, quite frankly, fewer young people that want to do that work, much more so than a generation ago. If you look back a couple decades, the perspective, the perception of being a long-haul truck driver, I think, has dramatically changed. And once we launch commercially with no driver in the cab, autonomous trucks will be able to drive nearly 24-7. Of course, we have to stop to refuel. Um, you know, diagnostic maintenance, we have to pick up loads and drop off lo- loads. So we're not moving literally 24-7. Um, but the self-driving trucks are highly efficient. They are not going to be subject to hours of service rec- uh, restrictions, much like a human driver would. So, you know, on a route that might require 18 hours of driving, whereas today it would take a driver two days to make that make that delivery, self-driving trucks will be able to do it in just one day. And when you look at the benefits there that um, uh, add from an asset utilization perspective, that's where you really see that efficiency. And then and again, in terms of resilience, which I, which I kind of alluded to before, these trucks, they don't get injured, they don't get sick, uh, they don't have time, they don't have to take time off. Um, and that's absolutely critical to the transportation infrastructure. You want to make sure that the supply chain uh, is deterministic as much as possible. And today, there's just so many interruptions that um, have downstream effects that cause lots of uh, instability in the supply chain. And so I think adding stability through uh, predictable, uh, scheduled, always available routes is going to be one of the key benefits to the supply chain specifically in adding resiliency that self-driving trucks are going to bring. Are we going to be, this is sort of an in, insert within what you said, are we going to be looking, though, really initially anyway, first five years at specific routes, you know, dense routes where there's a, a lot of traffic to move? I'm thinking of I-45. Everybody's moving to Texas, right? I think you're in Texas. You you run in Texas. And uh, everybody really does. Um, it's a big state, got plenty of places to go. But uh, I-45, which I've actually, you know, been on recently, uh, is very dense for, for traffic between, say, Dallas in Houston, um, are, do you think our routing and, and where we're going to, you know, start this uh, process uh, of, of making autonomy meaningful will be on select routes, really? Autonomy will definitely start on select routes, I think. And that's, that's simply, uh, I don't know how to say it, but that's just, the, that's just a normal course of technological development, right? The challenge with self-driving is to make it safe, as safe as a human driver. And not all situations and routes, if, as, if you will, are created equal. Some are more difficult than others. Now, we have the benefit in self-driving trucking that when we think about the uh, interstate highway system, it's fairly uniform, right? Cities and urban in- environments are, are considerably different in the, you know, as you move around the United States. Think of the differences between Boston and New York City, New York City and San Francisco, um, they're, they're very different driving environments. But, but by and large, interstate highways are very similar, which is a huge benefit. That being said, there are definitely certain areas that are more valuable from a freight perspective, that are more structured and easier from a density and traffic perspective. And I think you're going to see naturally, as intuitively, one would, would come to the conclusion that these trucks are going to be deployed uh, on select lanes first, followed by subsequent lanes later on. I think that's inevitable. That's definitely the plan that Kodiak uh, has. And I I believe it's the the plan that most of the industry has as well. That being said, 
I think it will be very straightforward for us to then scale beyond specific lanes uh, to, to cover the the more broad interstate highway system, particularly in the United States. And then I think you'll eventually see that uh, abroad as well. Let's switch to maintenance for a minute, because you've got a story here that I think is a, a, a bit unique, really, in the in that space. And that is uh, this modular mirror design that, that you've talked about. Uh, not today, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, it's, you know, your latest generation of, uh, truck really addresses this maintenance issue, which is you know, really a key uptime issue that resonates with fleets, as you said. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'd like you to talk about that, how that idea came up, and and really its applicability. Why don't you do that? Sure. So there's a couple of factors that you want to consider when you're starting out to design a self-driving system. Uh, one of those is very obviously the performance. You need to be able to place sensors around the vehicle, sensors like LIDARs and radars and cameras. These are the devices that we use to see and understand the world around us, to make sense of the world around us. And we want to be doing that uh, 360 degrees around the vehicle, and we want to be doing that continuously. Um, But then the question becomes, where do you put them and how do you mount them to the truck? And there are many different approaches, and you can see the variety of approaches as you look at uh, various players' Um, implementations. But early on, we made the decision to utilize the the mirror mounting points on the truck as the primary primary, uh, point of contact for the sensors that we were adding. And this really had two benefits. One, it provided us with a really rigid and stable platform because there's not a lot of vibration in the mirrors. And this is by design. You don't want to be looking at your mirrors and seeing tons of vibration as you're driving down the road for 11 hours. And so manufacturers work really hard to dampen those vibrations for the mirrors for human drivers. And it stands to reason, and it actually is true, that these are great locations to put the sensors for autonomous vehicles as well for many of the same reasons. Uh, But the added benefit and the secondary benefit is, is handling maintenance issues. When you talk to various players in the in the existing ecosystem of trucking and long haul the first kind of questions that you get asked are how do i keep my trucks running in an autonomous world where you may have uh, diagnostic faults or you may need to do routine maintenance on these on these sensors you may have to occasionally replace a camera or something else like this how how do we do that effectively without uh, incurring too much downtime and so we put a lot of thought into this and we came up the, the with the goal, well, we had the goal of minimizing downtime due to repairs. And that's where our, our patent pending mirror pods come in. The idea that you can create a one cohesive pod with all of the sensors and key components that you need that are pre-calibrated relative to each other. So you build the pod at, on the assembly line, you calibrate all the sensors, you calibrate the pod what we call intrinsically, meaning within itself. And then you're able to just swap a pod quickly. So if there's a maintenance issue, truck drives into the maintenance shop, uh, a non-AV trained technician can remove that pod and put a new pre-calibrated pod on, and then you can send the truck uh, on its way. And it's, it's, it's as fast and as easy as changing a tire. And I think that's that's a really special quality that Kodiak system is able to offer that we're just not seeing in, in a lot of the other systems that are being designed on, on the market. We've designed it for easy upfit and easy repair. Um, and that's, that's, really, that's really that single point of integration is what's going to allow for easy maintenance and serv- serviceability at scale in the field uh, in a short period of time without having to retrain thousands and thousands of technicians or having any kind of special shops or special equipment. 
it, it's such a, I mean, I've seen it, uh, you know, just in, in photos and, and I guess in video. And, and it is one of those things that you sort of say, you know, it's a better mousetrap. Is this the kind of thing you could see uh, Kodiak licensing to others? That's an interesting question. We haven't thought about that. Um, I, I don't see, I don't see why not. But uh, it's it's currently not something we're we're actively working on. But it's yours. That's right. Yours That's right. For now, yours yours to work with. Okay, uh, let, let's uh, let's end on this one, uh, Don, and that is about revenue loads. You're running revenue loads today. You mentioned, I think, I hadn't heard you talk about, you know, working with the uh, you know digital platform uh, folks at, at this point. But but th- that makes sense as well. How much do the revenue loads that are being carried, you know, by supervised autonomous trucks, including yours? Today, do they make much of a difference in the current supply chain crisis? And let me give you a couple of examples that we've seen, of course, from competitors, which, you know, on that I-45 are actually maybe adding a little bit of capacity that wouldn't be there otherwise. Maybe you're doing it as well. You just haven't talked about it. But the idea is we, you know, are, are running into the, you know, the holiday season and, and things like that. Uh, do, do you see um, at least uh, anecdotal value or or uh, incidental value uh, right now, or or does it is it really you know making a difference? I absolutely think it's making a difference. Obviously, today we're still a small we're still a small outfit today. I think the autonomous industry as a whole is still fairly small, and we still have a safety driver. Uh, in Kodiak trucks. And of course, they have to abide by hours of service. Uh, uh, but we have delivered over a thousand, uh, a thousand total commercial deliveries on that I-45 corridor uh, since we launched commercially. And that's something that we're incredibly proud of. Um, obviously, much bigger fleets deliver a lot more than that, but we feel like we're doing our small part. And ultimately, when these these autonomous trucks are launched, we're going to be able to drive nearly 24-7. And I think that is when you're really going to start to, to see a, a massive difference. Um, and uh, the trucks are going to be able to supply the, supply the support that the supply chain crisis that we're seeing today really needs. Well, listen, it's a pleasure always, Don, to catch up with you, to hear your thoughts on on this industry as it grows and, and expands and, and things like that, and to keep up, of course, with what Kodiak is doing. So thanks very much for joining us today, and uh, we wish you a great holiday. Thanks a lot, Alan. It's always good to be here.